record now. Okay. Whenever you're ready, I'm going to ask you, like, uh, what you've been up to, like, uh, you know, any stuff to look up, you know, mm -hmm. just a little bit of that, so. And, uh, okay. And as you remember, you know, I just remind Welcome, everyone, to the Commentarians. I'm Joe, this month's host. And I'm Gina, uh, this month's co-host, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and we're here to talk over your movies. Uh, hi everyone, welcome to the Commentarians. Is this Prairie Home Companion? Husband Bulge is now a part of my permanent vocabulary. <laughs> I saw a squirrel. I am going to point out real quick, this to me is like the most disturbing scene in the entire movie. Stop listening right now and go watch Firefly. Hey, this is my podcast. I'm sorry, sorry Joe. <laughs> We are saying that not only have we been wounded, we survive, and there's a God who heals of these wounds. Jesus isn't about the isms. Uh, he's about his kingdom. Because it is kind of like this idea that Jesus died for all of our sins, except when you had sex. And Jesus doesn't cover that. Welcome, everyone, to The Commentarians, uh, a movie podcast where we discuss a movie while we watch... I've never done that before, but uh, there's a description of what the show is, uh, and I'm here with my guest, uh, Gina DeFonzo. How you doing? Doing great. How are you? I can't complain. Same old, same old. Uh, let me ask here, because uh, I've known you for a while, I've been doing podcasting with you for a while, uh, many uh, guest episodes. Uh, is that L silent, or is it pronounced? Uh it's it's pronounced, yeah. Okay. Um, it used to have an apostrophe in it, but my grandfather took it out. I don't know why. Okay. <laughs> I never got to talk him about it. But uh, yeah, it, the L is is uh, pronounced. Alfonso, okay. It's... And uh, what have you been up to? Have you been uh, writing, getting published, getting a new book ready to be released? Well, nothing really to report yet on that front, but I do have a... Uh, book review newsletter that I've been doing. I, I don't know if, I don't remember if I mentioned it last time we talked. Um, I may have, but it's called Dear Strange Things and I publish it every two weeks. So I've got a new review coming out tomorrow. Oh, nice. And uh, you, you review books, movies? Uh, for, for this newsletter, books. Books. Beautiful. Occasionally I do an author Q&A. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, let's just get into it, because uh, we have a lot to discuss, and uh, this movie kind of spurns a lot of that conversation. I want to ask a lot about uh, Jane Austen, and uh, apparently she wrote more than just Sense and Sensibility. <laughs> I, of course, knew that, but uh, you know she's very famous for Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility. Is this a, a lesser-known work, Emma, or is this just as popular except for... Folks who don't know anything about literature don't haven't heard of it. That's a good question. Uh, because she wrote so few published works, unfortunately, um, it, it's hard to say that she's more famous for some than others. I mean, people who know her or people who are into to books are generally aware. Like there's there's this uh, small set of Austen novels, but. Sure. I, is, as, as you say, she is best known for Pride and Prejudice and maybe to a lesser extent for Sense and Sensibility. Um, 
Emma is, I mean, it, it's been adapted many, many times, including once as Clueless. Yeah, uh, back, I mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, uh, so people are aware of it. Now, when Austin wrote the book, she said um, something like, this is a heroine who nobody but myself will much like. But people keep reading the book and people keep adapting the book and, and uh, watching the movies and enjoying it. So to some extent, I think people do like her. Uh, she's she's a different sort of heroine. She's kind of difficult, but there I think there is something there to like when you get right down to it. Yeah, I I definitely did. I don't know if it's because of the movie, but I definitely like her character. So uh, mm-hmm. let's just mention uh, you've written uh, Dorothy and Jack about uh, Dorothy L. Sayers and uh, C.S. Lewis. Uh, the Gospel According to Dickens, and your first book, One by One, uh, which mm-hmm. is still, I think, uh, being read by many people, uh, considering every, it seems like maybe once a year or several times a year, for the last few years, uh, more discussion has been had about uh, how singles are treated in the church, you know, mm-hmm. how men treat women in the church in general, and uh I hope your book is getting a bump every time that comes up. I mean, it's horrible that it's coming up, but I think it's necessary. And uh, your book is uh, one by one, welcoming the singles in your church, is probably one of my favorite books on the subject. Uh, oh, thank you. Because I, I, it, it's I just done so well. Dig it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so uh, let's just get into it. Uh, we're doing Emma from 2019. Uh, it's uh, available, I said, uh, I mentioned it's not really available anywhere for free unless you have Cinemax or the streaming service uh, for Cinemax. Uh, and it can be rented anywhere, though, uh, starring uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, Johnny Flynn, Mia Goth, and a favorite of my wife and I's, uh, Miranda Hart. Mm. Oh, yeah, she's so good here. Yeah, she is. She's brilliant. So... Okay, let's get into it. Uh, as always, we do a countdown, three, two, one, and then press play, then you press play. If you're joining us, and if you're not watching the movie with us, then that's okay. The conversations are going to be rather broad. But I honestly, I hope you've seen the movie because it is, it is really, really beautiful. It is funny. It just is a great, a great picture. Uh, let me just say real quick, I've got it nine seconds in. That's where I paused it uh, yeah. when I put it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too, because uh, I had the little Cinemax logo pop up uh, for me. Oh. So, yeah, I think nine seconds in, uh, if you're watching it, if not, I think Focus Feature is going to pop up right away. That's the first logo. So if you're there, then you're, time, you're uh, lined up with us. So uh, let's get started. Three, two, one, play. Okay. No focus features a Comcast company. Yes. Okay, so uh, Emma, the novel. You actually are uh, very, you know, you you are an expert, I would say, uh, in classic film and classic literature, uh, which uh, you know that those are great things to be uh, very well knowledge in. I know '80s punk and Bob Dylan, so. Uh, <laughs> Not as um, <laughs> if you, <laughs> yeah. If you want to know who played guitar on uh, Highway 61 Revisited, I'm your guy. But I don't think that's uh, as uh, as well respected as you know as literature and classic film. But uh, you know, uh, oh, here you go. Search, 
So yeah. didn't Bill answer or something? So there you go. There you go. <laughs> so, now, now we started off with a bit of text from the novel, which I like because it really establishes things right up front. Um, handsome, clever, and rich. Yeah. And very little to vex her. So right away, okay, we know we're dealing with a woman of privilege. Now, this was not Elizabeth Bennet in Pride and Prejudice, who, um, for all her independence and so forth, was still dealing with the very real possibility of falling into poverty if things didn't work out. Mm -hmm. Emma is never going to risk falling into poverty. She's got everything. So right away, different sort of character. Right. And here's the thing. She, like you mentioned, uh, Jane, uh, Jane Austen said that she's the least likable character. She is very charming. She's very funny. And yeah, she is a prideful. She is privileged. She doesn't have anything to complain about. But she's still mm -hmm. likable as a person because she's not a terrible person, necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this opening sequence um, where she's picking out flowers and it, we find out in a minute she's picking them for her governess's wedding. Um it is a nice establishing shot because we get a sense immediately of how privileged she is because, yeah. I mean, she's got this greenhouse with like everything in it. And at the same time, you get a feeling you get to see that she does uh, have responsibilities. She, I mean, she's up at Odark 30 picking flowers for people. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is what I tend to do. So, you know that, okay, she does feel some sort of responsibility to others, even if she is uh, sort of like overprivileged. So we're going to see this sort of um, dichotomy play out in her story. And so that's a nice setup for it. Yeah. And it, and it is juxtaposed with the she's not even picking the flowers. Her servants are picking the flowers. True. Yeah. So, yeah, you get a little bit of both. And but again, very funny in how she, uh, you know, she chooses the flowers. Uh, I didn't see her do up her hair. Does she sleep with that hair? Does she wake up like this? I mean... That hair, this hair is something else. I mean, you always see the little curls in an Austin adaptation, but I've never seen them quite like this. I yeah. mean, she's got everywhere. And I'm like, that must take ages to do. So, yeah, I'm thinking the servants have been busy <laughs> getting up with <laughs> Oh, and again, and this... Oh. Yeah. Great introduction to this uh, this character. Yes, yes. Uh, her father, uh, played by Bill Nahi, Nahi. I think I think Nahi. Nahi, brilliant. Just such a funny uh, character. Bill Nahi pl plays it brilliantly. He's super funny. Now, I wanted to ask: Is the book this funny? Um, in different ways. Um. The movie, as we'll see, can get a little bit even slapsticky at times. That right. the humor can be water um, sometimes. Austin it was a very sly wit. She was the kind of person her her wit comes out in the situations she sets up, in the clashes of characters, in in these really sly observations she makes about people, and a lot of times in the banter between characters. Um, she she's that person who would be like you know, at a party, enjoying herself, but she's, like, tucking away little tidbits in her mind, you know. Right. Uh, all these things about people, all their weaknesses, and um, she's going to make fun of them on paper later. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that the kind of humor, which is sort of a different humor um, than, 
than than we tend to see a lot in movies now, but um, it, it's it's what we would rather call wit, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so here's Miranda Hart, who is just brilliant in this. She nails this role. That she's she's so she's sweet and she's clueless and she will bore you to tears and like. She, uh, I think all of us know people like that in real life who have all these qualities mixed up in them. Like they talk for days and you're like, how can they be that clueless and self-centered? And yet they're really sweet too. Yeah. So it's like, and, and we get to see how like Emma deals with this. And as you can see, she's, <laughs> she's barely holding on to her patience. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it, it's, it's a, uh, it's one of those very true to life characters and it's, it's a great performance. Yeah. Uh, because again, Miranda Hart and Anya Tyler-Joy, which we saw, uh, if any, if you guys saw her on uh, uh, Saturday Night Live, she's very funny. And, mm-hmm. you know, and Bill Nahey and all these other act- actors are just sharp uh, with delivering co- the jokes and the faces. And here we have the priest uh, who's, who's, you know, uh, he's uh, doing the wedding. Very mm-hmm. funny character just all these wonderful yeah he does this good good what was that he does this thing coming up with this innocence line which i'm i'm like okay is he trying to be the new uh from princess bride or something with the (laughs) (laughs) because um but yeah like everybody has their little quirks and their little foibles and which again is very much an austin thing you know she she delighted in in uh just poking gentle fun, sometimes gentle, sometimes sharper, yeah, but uh, fun people <laughs> and uh yeah. y- your opinion on the uh clueless uh adaptation how what do you what do you think of that one because it's a classic uh, it's beloved I saw it in the theater when I was a teenager, first run, and I didn't get it. I think I was too young i mean well, I was a teenager, but it wasn't the kind of movie, the kind of humor, the kind of satire I was used to, and I just didn't get it. And I've often thought I should watch it again one of these days and see if I get it now, because <laughs> <laughs> because now um, with more experience under my belt, uh, maybe I would get it now. Right. Um, but at the time, I was just well, I was clueless. <laughs> now here's a shot that you don't often see in <laughs> in an Austin. Awesome yeah, just for a warning, but but turn away. If you don't want to see the male butt, sorry. Like, like, is this like, is this subverting the male gaze and giving us the female gaze, or is <laughs> um, just because it, it's a more sensual film in general? Or did she go to the Andrew Davies school of adaptation, where you have to have a little uh, uh, rear end shot in every movie, or <laughs> along those lines? I, I don't know why they, they did that. It's it's. I mean, it's almost the first shot you see of the hero. So I'm very curious about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and this is an interesting thing that uh, the um, the servants dressing their, uh, you know, the, the members of the household, uh, mm-hmm. it seems a little excessive, a little like, you know, or it, uh, uncomfortable. And then in the show Downton Abbey, they kind of portray it as something honorable. It's what their jo- it's their job, and they are they take pride in dressing their you know their bosses, 
And I don't yeah. know how to feel about that because when I heard it in the show, I'm like, well, that makes sense. But I don't know at what point it's a it's you know a little bit too excessive, like a yeah, yeah a little bit boundary crossing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it is a, a very weird situation. Um, now you you have um, a good sense of like what looks good on guys, what what's uh, good fashion for men. So I have to ask you about. <laughs> I have to ask you about Mr. Knightley's collars. He always wears these very high collars here. And um, I don't know. What do you think? I I, I almost think they're a little excessive, but yeah. I'd like to get. Yeah, yeah, it is an excessive thing. And even you'll see it even today uh, with people who love the, you know, the shirt collars that are much more prominent. They stand up more. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't like it. I'm uh, very much all about subtlety. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the more subtle you are, the better, because you don't want people to notice specific things on you. As far as like, you know, when people tie their ties, they there's these new kind of ties that are really fancy, really flamboyant and or colorful, you know, pocket squares. If anything yeah. draws attention away, you know, from you as a whole, then that's bad. Uh, you need to be these, you know the thing that's important you as a whole and any little mm -hmm. thing that draws your eye away is kind of you know that's a problem so yeah any kind of if you if this person walks into the room and you're like hey check out those collars oh, that's weird then you, you know he lost basically he, he failed at trying to look good because now your attention is being you know taken by the collar but you know I, I mean, I don't know. If you know this person for a while, then you kind of get used to it, I guess. But uh, yeah. not not my not not a fan. Yeah, and they sort of draw attention to his sideburns, which I think were really excessive. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that maybe guys were into that at this period. I don't know. Uh, they they are a little bit much, but but uh, it's part of the aesthetic of this film, I think. And and I will have more to say about that because. It as far as the fashion goes it seems like everything is just a little bit over the top yeah um and like i'm not really a minimalist i i mean i i can go with over the top especially if it's like in all these pretty pastels that i like oh, sure. <laughs> but at the same time uh things like that color really uh really are a bit much yeah um, yeah, but certainly it's uh, the the idea being that uh, if you're going to go over the top, then your whole thing, your whole outfit should be over the top, not this one thing, you know? Oh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, so. That's <laughs> her father's coat. I mean, yeah. he like goes, with, he blends with the wallpaper. <laughs> so it is really, it is really kind of a lot. And, yeah. and there, his vest sort of is this, same material and it's very interesting <laughs> yeah i actually really 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 like his suits just because they're so ridiculous i would never wear them i would never want to see anybody in them like out in the street but boy is this delightful yeah. it goes with what you said about the whole outfit being over the top yeah it is so yeah now here we have harriet smith who is emma's friend and um it's now now here here we get a taste of the whole um 
class issue in Austin and in the period in general. Now, Harriet is from the, well, well, she's sort of floating around classless in a way yeah. because she's orphaned, not orphaned exactly. She has a father somewhere. No one quite knows who her father is. So she was an illegitimate child. She's at a good school, but she's, and, and Emma just said something about how she has decided that Harriet is a gentleman's daughter, which I think in Emma's mind makes it an acceptable friendship. Hmm. Um, so, so it's interesting how she arrived at that conclusion because, I mean, she could have just said, you know, she's an orphan of dubious background. I don't want anything to do with her. But instead, because she she saw something that she liked in Harriet, she decided, okay, she's a gentleman's daughter. So she's right. sort of bending and playing with the class structure in order to get what she wants, which is friendship with Harriet. Yeah. And it's it's kind of again part of the, the delightfulness of this movie is Harriet is trying to mim she's trying to fit into this world, so she's kind mm -hmm. of mimicking what uh, Emma does. You know, she takes a sip when she when Emma takes a sip. You know, she doesn't eat yet because Emma hasn't eat, like taken a bite of her of her what do they call them over there biscuit. I, <laughs> I don't know what the. What a biscuit is necessarily? Is it just a cookie or like a brownie? But uh, you know, I think so. I, I'm a little fuzzy myself, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And and uh, see, Emma, that makes it not quite a healthy friendship for Emma because what she's looking for out of it is admiration and adoration and somebody to generally look up to her, and that's not exactly what she needs in her life because she's already petted and spoiled and looked up to. Right. So. Um, there are there are good things in Harriet, and we'll see more of that. But and so in some ways, I mean, obviously Emma just needs a friend. She is kind of alone. She has her father, who she loves, but that's kind of a, a difficult relationship sometimes. Mm -hmm. And she has Miss Knightley, who she clashes with all the time. And I think she's just looking for a a girl to be her friend. And so she's she needs friendship. That's true. But you, you're, I think you're. You're supposed to ask yourself, is this the healthiest friendship for her? And at this point, not so much. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we're going to see in a while that uh, Emma starts taking Harriet as her project to try to get mm -hmm. her a boyfriend, uh, you know, a, a husband. And again, especially in the description that I read from uh, Rotten Tomatoes, or, you know, it's kind of a selfish thing that she's doing. But I don't know if Emma sees mm -hmm. it that way. I think she's. She sees it as helping out her friend. Yes, yes. And she likes making matches in general. She made the match between her governess and the governess's new husband. Yeah. So that sort of that sort of convinced her. She has a talent for it. She likes doing it. It's fun. <laughs> and they're talking here, I think. Um, I've been talking so much I haven't been listening yet. <laughs> but I think this is where they talk about um, how Emma doesn't really want to get married. She's got a good life. She's got everything she wants out of life. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but she she likes to marry off other people because that's fun. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, maybe some control issues here, but also, um, she does like to help people. She's just a little bit, um, what's the word, patronizing about it? Yeah, certainly condescending because you know she she sees you know these people that she's uh, you know pairing off as more 
you know, her little toys, her little Barbie dolls to kind of play with. Yeah. But again, yeah, but, was... but doesn't see them as a negative, doesn't see them as beneath her, just, you know, in the kindest way, very, you know, a little condescending, if that, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. She's willing to subvert the class structure to an extent, but not completely, because one one way she tries to put Harriet off uh, her current boyfriend, Robert Martin, is to say, well, he's just a little bit beneath me. And so, you know, I can't really take any notice of him, which is like snobbish in the extreme. Mm -hmm. And yet that struck the class structure she knows. So I think Austin is simultaneously sort of observing the the social structure and questioning it a little bit and Austin was not a radical by any stretch and yet she's willing to question things I mean she she was she was um she was sort of used to the way she lived the way she grew up she didn't really see, and and like Elizabeth in Pride and Prejudice, there were times when she was one step away from poverty, sure. and so okay, she to be a little bit frustrated with the social structure, um, and the the idea that you have to marry richer, well, you're just out of things. But um, she she sort of was both comfortable with it and sort of questioned it. So she, so she like goes back and forth a little bit, and she. She um she gets you kind of thinking about it. Um but we'll we'll sort of see as we go along. I don't want to give away too much yet. We'll we'll sure. see as we go along how things sort of shift uh for Emma in Emma's mind um about this. Yeah, uh and we've done a few of these. Uh Pride and Prejudice uh we did uh, Little Women, we've done Emma, uh and mm -hmm. there's several books that uh, are beloved, that are female, you know, women authors who write about these women who are in, you know, kind of going to parties and meeting boys and all that kind of thing. Was there a time, was was there a fascination with like the upper class and fashion and kind of th that kind of thing? Or is that just the books that are most spoken about I, today? Yeah, I, I think there was. I mean... Um, Austin wasn't like upper, upper class, uh, but she was, you know, we might call it shabby genteel almost today. Oh, sure. <laughs> I mean, she, she, sometimes she moved in higher up circles due to like relatives who were higher class, but, but she was very dependent on them. You know, if, if, if it didn't come into their heads to be generous with her, then she was up the creek. Mm. So, so she sort of knew that life, like both from the inside and the outside. Um, an interesting little factoid is that she, I think it was Emma that she dedicated to the Prince of Wales, but she didn't want to, she had to, <laughs> she, <laughs> when she started to become a well-known author, he became aware of her work and, you know, um, gave her the great honor of, you know, well, you're allowed to dedicate your book to me, which means you are ordered to dedicate your book to me. Right. He didn't like him. He was kind of a, he was kind of a pig, obviously, honestly, <laughs> but uh, she, she had to. So just like all these little interesting uh, upper class related things uh, about her. Huh. It's almost like Emma here, you know, he thinks he's doing her a favor 
and who would deny this kind of thing? I mean, I'm doing something nice for you. So, of course, I'm <laughs> allowing you to dedicate this book. for. And Emma, like, you know, kind of treats people around her this way. And yeah. I wonder if he even knew what he was doing was like, you know, ridiculous, like, you know, kind of, you know, insulting. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, I guess it's appropriate that this was the book that was dedicated. To- <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. I hadn't considered that before. Yeah. And so, of course, you know, it's also a love story, you know, people, you know, women, you know, wanting to be in relationships or not wanting to be in relationships and kind of being married or, be, you know, having admirers is kind of like a big theme also with uh, mm-hmm. a lot of these women, which I don't know, it, it seems to make sense, especially at the time. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, again, very entertaining stories that they that, that are being written about it, but also very much focused on on the, the women and what they want and what they desire. And also the problem with that, with want with, you know, having to pick one man over the other, depending on how much money he has and, mm-hmm. you know, the kind less on the kind of person he is, which is really kind of. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to have to think about security and, and so forth. Now, Emma is currently trying to pair Harriet up with uh, Mr. Elton, the minister, mm-hmm. which, and Harriet, you, you were talking about women wanting to be in relationships, and Harriet is like the quintessential example of this. That She's sort of the opposite of Emma in this respect, because while Emma doesn't particularly want to be with anybody uh, right now, uh, Harriet is just like letting herself be led around by the nose. Uh, whoever Emma wants to throw her at, she's like, oh, yeah, OK, I could be in love with him. So <laughs> very, very suggestible, uh, again, which makes this not really the healthiest friendship. Um, and she's kind of ready to go for whoever Emma tells her to go for. Yeah. And I, I got to say, uh, this is very similar to uh, to, the, to the movie Clueless and how several characters and people, like, it's just pretty, they did a really good job with Clueless, mm-hmm. you know. From my very faint memory, I remember they, they did follow the, the original plot pretty closely, right? Yeah. I mean, with all the different, with somebody to stand for all the different characters and so forth. Yeah, and of course, uh, Cher in uh, Clueless, uh, very mm-hmm. wealthy you know, had, you know, a, a lower class friend comes into the picture and she tries to set her up and it kind of backfires in the very, in a very similar way as this is going to. So it's, yes. yeah, it's, it's really, I, I, you know, again, it's beloved for a reason. It's very, it's really well-written and really funny and clever. And again, a, a kind of a selfish, prideful character is charming and like, you know, in light. Yeah, and it it takes skill to do that. It does, um, because uh, a selfish character can so very easily be done wrong and like just drive everybody crazy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, and again, uh, this is uh, I I started this podcast to kind of spurn discussion amongst uh, you know b- using movies. 
And this, I hope that this isn't too much of a stretch. I don't think it is, but it might be. But this is about a class system and them trying to partner off so that they can have a family and people looking down on people who are not. And Emma yeah. is, you know, privileged enough that she doesn't need to marry anybody because it's her father's wealth. Her father loves her very much. And whatever he has, it belongs to her as well. Uh, today, you, you just wrote an article uh, on J.D. Vance is his name. Yes. And he essentially said it, I, I, that people who don't have children shouldn't have a vote or should, their, their vote or their opinion shouldn't matter as much. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it's, um, and, and just the, the, uh, as I wrote in the article that maybe he means it, maybe he doesn't, but the issue is that he thought he could get away with saying it. And he, and so he did. And he, he made that calculation to appeal to a certain section of his base. And, um, and that's, and, and there are reasons for that because, you know, there are sections of this world and of this, the Christian world um, that we're both uh, familiar with that where that uh, really think that the way to uh, evangelize the world is to have lots of children and teach them Christianity so they'll take over the world, which is not what I find in the gospel. <laughs> no. So it, there are... There are um, it is not the Christian uh, plan that I think people like to paint it as, and but it is it is more pervasive I think than people realize because I've seen it this going on for years and years, and um, you know it's it's really, I mean it's offensive in all kinds of ways. Yeah. <laughs> that's not what Christianity is. I mean for starters, it, it's offensive for lots of ways, but that, let's just start with that way because. Um, Christianity is, you know, faith in Christ and evangelism is loving your neighbor and sharing Christ with your neighbor. And it has nothing to do with having children, which I mean, children are great, but that's not what Christianity is. So, I mean, well, and also just the idea of hum humility, I was yeah. saved and I didn't deserve it. I'm a terrible person. And like, you know, again, it could be, it could lead to self-loathing. But what I mean is we're not good people. We've done wrong and we don't deserve salvation, but Jesus loved us so much that we get saved. He, he gave us that gift. Therefore we should mimic that in the world. Nobody deserves it. I certainly don't deserve it. So somebody, so I have no right to say that somebody else does not deserve it either. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Christianity is much more radical <laughs> than, than people like Vance believe because it, it's all about uh, not deserving salvation, but getting it and not doing anything to earn it, including having children. But when, when you get Christianity mixed up with the social class structure like that, all kinds of uh, perfidious things happen. Uh, early on, um, I meant to remark on this, we saw the social class issue playing out in church when they were at the wedding and the, the, you know, you get to sit where your class and your wealth dictate, mm. um, in church. And, and 
I, I don't think the director really comments on that much, uh, other than as she as she is generally commenting on it throughout the movie, and as as uh, Austin sometimes comments on it in her fiction very subtly. But you know, we we see we see religion in general get mixed up with all sorts of unhealthy things, and it turns toxic because that's not what faith is. And we're basically um, using faith to reinforce what we already had, what the world has, and what we want to have. And instead of taking faith for what it is and believing it and living accordingly. So that's my little soapbox for, <laughs> for today. <laughs> no, yeah. And I absolutely get that because – and the, the nerve that he has to say something like that is what uh, bothers me. Uh, my wife, uh, she's been listening to a lot of MLM podcasts and cult podcasts about cults and stuff. And she mentioned yeah. something about narcissism, that when a leader mm -hmm. is has a following of people that, that love them, if they're a narcissist, they will say and do things that are just egregious. And instead mm -hmm. of turning people off, the people who follow them and who love them will admire that because in their minds, they think, I could never do that. That is some, that is, you know, he has the courage and bravery to be that offensive. And mm -hmm. so they admire that kind of behavior. And I think that that's what's happening a lot now, especially in Christianity, when, you know, I when the president, who is obviously a narcissist, uh, the previous president, he said horrible, ridiculous things, and he was admired by that. And so I think that's why a person like J.D. Vance, who you mentioned, not only did he say this horror, like not just offensive and, you know, dumb thing, but completely not biblical at all. The, he, mm -hmm. There's no biblical basis for what he said, but he said, but he says it as a Christian. And yeah. instead oh. of people condemning him or, you know, saying that he shouldn't have said that or him himself humbly saying, I shouldn't have said that he doubled down. And yeah, he, exactly. Yeah. And again, and you mentioned like some of his defenders say he didn't even, like, maybe he, he probably didn't even mean, mean it. And yeah. that, as you mentioned, yeah. Go ahead. yeah. Yeah. yeah it, no, go on. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. As you mentioned, it doesn't matter whether he meant it or not because he still said it and now he doubled down on it. And that kind of pride and narcissism, that self-righteousness, is really dangerous in a Christian environment because it yeah. literally draws us away from Christ. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and um, I, I think, uh, like, like you were saying, the movie in some ways relates to that because of just the way, again, the, the way this supposedly Christian society is lined up, you have to do certain things in order to, um, to fit in and, and to have respect. And <laughs> every time I see her with this baby, I want to say, put a burp cloth on your shoulder, please. Gorgeous dress on and this baby all all uh you know all positioned to just uh yeah rule. <laughs> i mean she's she's uh she's not bad with kids but um 
Yeah. <laughs> he certainly doesn't know how to hold one. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and um, we, we saw Mr. Knightley and Emma fighting earlier and now they're, they're sort of trying to make up over their, their niece that they're sort of like double in-laws. I don't know what you would call that because her sister is married to his brother. So, so yeah. this is both uh, their niece. Um, so anyway, they're, they're making up over the baby and, um, and, and I love this part because the baby clearly uh, pooped herself and everybody's freaking out. <laughs> and Emma and Knightley, who, who uh, happen to be childless, are able to laugh over it. Yeah, because the mother and freaks really out, doesn't know what's happening, wants to call the, the doctor. <laughs> yeah, and this is just a very natural and sweet moment between them where they both crack up because, you know, this movie is so great, but there's lots about it that is just like formal and artificial because that's how things were then. And I mean, she knows she's known this guy all her life. She calls him Mr. Knightley. She curtsies to him because that's what you do. But still, when you see them just like crack up and laugh together, yeah, it's a moment of natural naturalness that sort of contrasts very nicely with other aspects of right. it. Right. Yeah, and that's kind of like nice to see in these you know there's a certain way of acting in public there's things you say and things you don't say and how you sit and how you behave and then yeah that kind of the baby pooping itself like adds a little levity to that they, they can break for a second this behavior and just laugh and enjoy themselves and relax a bit I mean, there are some things that uh, no matter how formal you are you cannot prevent from happening and right. babies <laughs> <laughs> so um there's the school girls again they sort of remind me of those madeline books you know the ones where the two little girl are the little girls in the two straight lines oh sure yeah capes and bonnets <laughs> and, um so harriet is among them and um let's see where have we got to oh yeah um she's the Oh yeah, Harriet's sick, and yeah. I have to. This part hits differently now. I, I I didn't mention it before, but this is the last movie I saw before uh, COVID. And my oh. friend Mary and I went to the mall and saw this, and then like the world fell apart like maybe a few weeks later. <laughs> so um, yeah, <laughs> so so now you see uh, um, Emma going in and sitting on Harriet's bedside, and you want to say, "Wear a mask, stay away." <laughs> <I know. laughs> so yeah. But um, yeah, but anyway, they're they're uh, they're not um, thinking about that. L lucky them. Yeah. So um, yeah, but but uh, she's Emma is still pushing this relationship between Harriet and Mister Elton, and um, <laughs> so. yeah. I yeah, it's just, it, it is really sweet that uh, how Harriet is just boy crazy and, you know, loves the attention that uh, that Emma's giving to her. And, you know, it's, yeah. And, you know, we yeah. have, again, the ridiculous priest or pastor or reverend. <laughs> Whatever he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just his behavior is just ridiculous. And so they're... Yeah. Yeah, they they're going to a party. Yes, and and they had to tell Mr. Elton that Harriet couldn't come because she was sick, and uh, yeah, I, I don't want to 
get too far ahead of myself, but it's just wait, when you sort of know the story and know what's coming, you just have to sort of marvel at the way the dialogue is handled so skillfully that you, you can mean something and somebody can take it to mean something completely different mm. and you can end up like just continually talking past each other. And I mean, Austin does that very well. They do, they capture it very well. He, Hello, I think. Uh, very close. Hello. Oh. Hello. I'm here. I'm here. Okay, sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. You can cut out there. Yeah, I heard a beep, and <laughs> then uh, you came back. I think it's okay. Yeah. It didn't stop recording or anything. No, no, no. It just, uh, yeah, it just paused Are you there? for a while. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. And I can hear you. Okay, great. <laughs> okay. You might want to clean that part up and Yeah, and yeah, post. Well, I'll take care of <laughs> So, anyway, um, yeah, we were just talking about how they – they, as clever as Emma thinks she is, she ends up in these situations where she's always talking past people because she's so sure she knows what's going on when she really isn't. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I, I, um, <clears throat> I want to take a, a moment just to talk about her relationship with her father, which we touched on before, um, which is, she said something earlier to Mr. Knightley about how she has to manage tempers, which is, you know, part of the responsibility she feels for people. And it's, he, he's not an easy person. He's a raging hypochondriac. Mm -hmm. And so uh, she, she has to deal with that. So we're going to see something of that in a minute. And she's, she's very gentle with him. She's very considerate of him. And so that is, that is one of her, um, along with all her flaws, that is one of her good points. Yeah. Um, she she's in where he's <clears throat> where he's concerned she's not spoiled uh she's very thoughtful so um yeah he he uh, very well done too he he's very selfish and yet he has a few moments where something else comes out and now now somebody has said it's it's probably snowing or it's to snow and so he panics freaks out ends the dinner party right there because <laughs> and his his daughter sister is just like him because she's freaking out too and you know she was the one that wanted to call the doctor over a bowel movement <laughs> so um yeah he he's he's really kind of over the top comic in his hypochondria but um and, and it does create some interesting situations as we'll see but uh emma handles him you know pretty well all things considered yeah, and yeah, everybody's like shocked and surprised, like, oh, okay, okay, I guess we're all leaving then. And yeah, Emma doesn't like tell him to calm down or to be quiet or corrects mm -hmm. him. He, she just like, you know, goes along with him and makes, yeah, him, you makes say, him comfortable. Yeah, you could say that she spoils him, uh, which <laughs> I guess is true, but, but you know, she's just trying to take care of him the, the best way that uh, she knows how. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of comical here that she gets 
she actually gets left behind by accident uh, <laughs> when she is usually, you know, the center of attention. Um, and so she's going to get stuck with uh, Mr. Elton, which will get interesting. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, it, it's um, funny that she gets placed in that situation. But she, you know, she's deciding to make the best of it. And, and then uh, Mr. Elton decides he's going to start something. And I have to laugh at this here yeah. because he almost has this vampire thing going on where he's just sort of blooming. <laughs> <laughs> And he has this look on his face, and and um, he he's like he um, he and and now he's going to get all romantic, which is the last thing she was expecting. Because again, they've been talking past each other every time she calls attention to Harriet, and he gets all like moony eyed. It's over been over Emma. It hasn't been over Harriet at all, and Emma completely missed it. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, pull up the characters, because that's what's kind of great about how similar Clueless was to this, because in Clueless, uh, Alicia Silverstone was taking photographs of her group of friends, and she takes a picture of Ty, her, you know, the girl that she's kind of making up and trying to, you you know, set up with this other guy. And she takes a picture of her, and the guy says to Alicia Silverstone, uh, to mm-hmm. Cher's character, uh, okay, and uh, well, what I was saying, uh, we got uh, cut off there, but uh, what I was saying is that in Clueless, uh, Alicia Silverstone's character, uh, Cher, she's taking pictures uh, of her friends. Like, they're kind of posing and, like, having fun. And then she takes Ty aside, who she's, like, kind of, you know, giving a makeover to, trying to set up with this guy and taking a picture of her that looks really pretty. And then the guy comes over, who she's trying to set her up with, and says, hey, I want a picture of that. I want one of those pictures. Can you give me one? And he's like, yeah. And so she takes, she prints it up and gives it to the guy and he hangs it up in his locker. And then Mm -hmm. later on, when he's giving uh, Alicia Silverstone a ride home, he tells her that he likes her and he wants to hook up and you, you know, and Alicia Silverstone's like, no, you like Ty. You have her picture in your locker. And yeah. she says, no, I have the picture you took of her in her, in my locker. And yeah, read things. <laughs> yeah, And again, very similar here. Uh, Emma drew a picture of her friend and the gentleman says, yeah, I want that picture, and I'll frame it all beautiful. And then it turns out that, uh, well, no, I wanted the picture you drew of her. And I, I, I mm-hmm. the, the reason I bring it up is because I think it's really, really clever how they were able to do it in in Clueless, how it was just perfectly done. Uh, yeah. An incredibly yeah, but- similar situation. If they would do a remake today, think of what they could do with like Instagram tagging people and all this sort of thing. <laughs> right. This is a very odd game. I've never seen this in any um, other movie before or since with playing with what is it, sugar and a knife and a coin? Yeah, it looks like sugar. And I think uh, you're supposed to cut a knife through it. Like it's kind of like a mold. And, yeah. Uh, and when you cut it, it falls apart little by little and the last person once it falls apart completely or at least has uh you know just uh one more little stem left then you have to stick your face into the sugar and pull out the coin 
Yeah, so that that was an interesting little bit of uh, local color, I yeah. guess you could call. It. <laughs> but we go from um, that to Emma having to tell Harriet the truth about Mr. Elton, which um, is very hard to do. And um, I think this is the first instance of Emma admitting she was wrong about something, which <laughs> uh, is very good for her character, and it won't be the last time. Yeah. You know, to give her credit, she she is um, she's really sorry for having gotten Harriet's hopes up, and and Harriet, to her credit, is is uh, very nice about it and and doesn't blame her. Yeah, and it's almost like Harriet is less upset about the gentleman not liking her, and more upset that it just didn't work out in general. Yeah. Like almost like like she disappointed Emma. <laughs> she she doesn't seem so heartbroken about it or broken yeah. up about it. I want to say please don't burn that picture frame because it is like so cool. <laughs> yeah. Anything quite like that before. It's really unique. And I don't know if like that was a popular kind of picture frame back then with the little doors, but uh it's just really interesting. Yeah, it's really but, a great little frame. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so uh, Emma's sister is going and um, and they're packing all the kids <laughs> in the, in the uh, carriage and the husband is looking very uh, not wanting to do this. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, now we're going to have the father saying, you know, he doesn't ever want Emma to go away. And it's interesting because his other daughter is so much more like him than Emma is. But maybe they're too much alike. Um, and Emma is the one who's considerate of him, like, not because she agrees with him, just because she's she's uh, taking care of him. And so they, they seem to make a better uh, combination. Yeah. Emma seems much more grounded. Like, you know, like you mentioned, uh, the father is pretty neurotic and it turns out Emma's sister is very much like him, very neurotic. And yeah. that would probably not work out together. They would just be two neurotic people, you know, freaking yeah. out all the time. And Emma is at least grounded and, you know, sees the bigger picture and is more calm and yeah. 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 It, it's rather interesting how often you see people sitting in carriages that are at a standstill in this movie. Yeah. And I was noticing it the first time I watched it. I was like, what goes on here? Um, I, I don't know if it's just like a, a stylistic choice for some reason or what that's all about. <laughs> but anyway, it gives the chance for Miss Bates to come over and be all Miss Bates-like. <laughs> so um, we haven't talked about this before, but she's always going on about her niece, Jane Fairfax. And, um, who Emma is kind of sick to death of hearing about. Yeah. And um, Jane is finally showed up and come to visit her aunt. And is kind of determined not to be friends with Jane just because everybody wants her to be friends with Jane. And, <laughs> and, and he went back to like how Emma needs friendship. And, um, but such is human nature that she kind of stubbornly and pridefully does not want to be friends with the person that everybody wants her to be friends with. <laughs> so, it, she, she kind of resents being told, Oh, you have so much in common with this person. Um, 
you should be friends. She wants to make her own friends, as as we've seen with her befriending Harriet. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, it, yeah and it seems like neither of them want to be friends with each other. But uh, right. And again, it's almost like society dictates that we have to be friends because it's you know out of politeness. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, jane is a very reserved person uh generally very introverted mm-hmm. and um, so she she doesn't show uh, many signs of wanting to be friends either and so this is just like um kind of a disaster waiting to happen <laughs> or at least at least situations uh waiting to happen <laughs> These desserts are really cool looking. Yeah. <laughs> Again, pastels and all the fancy stuff and everything. <laughs> Little cakes with like deer heads on them and I know, how weird is that? <laughs> now they're they're talking about Frank Churchill, who is uh Mrs. Weston's stepson, and how he never he lives with an aunt and never shows up. And at this point, waiting for Frank Churchill is kind of like waiting for Godot. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he talks about him and he never shows up. <laughs> and they're talking uh, yet again. And um, Mr. Knightley is kind of kind of uh, down on him because he, he never comes to see his father and stepmother, not even when they were married. And um, Emma is kind of determined to think the best of him. And so that's one of the many things they've been fighting over. And um, so... It, and then we have this little <laughs> we have this little competition with the piano, which is which I think is funny. Yeah. <laughs> and and Emma's you know Emma Emma's very good at the whole playing and singing thing, which um, was very big then, and you usually see this going on in novels of the time and movies, um, which I I admire because I can't do it. I can play or I can sing. I can't do both at the same time. Oh. <laughs> But anyway, you get a sense that this is another area where Emma sort of lords it over everybody. Yeah. And to find out that she's not the only one who can play the piano. Yeah, and it is kind of like a a thing that uh, maybe young women are taught how to play piano or the cello mm-hmm. or something. I've, I've seen it in several movies and in uh, in novels of the time mm-hmm. that, uh, yeah, it's a kind of a, a sophisticated woman, you know, plays the piano or plays an instrument of some kind and and is it has to entertain kind of at parties to kind of show off yeah and as we see now jane is very very good at it. yeah <laughs> so it was part of the edu- the girls education of the time they weren't supposed to be learning like things like academic subjects per se they were supposed to stick more with music art dancing um the artistic side of things which i mean which is not a bad thing to learn but sure um, uh unfortunately they they couldn't learn everything that they wanted to always but um yeah but the this uh this thing with the piano again like you were saying that was very valued for women and so jane has just shown that she is more accomplished than emma in this thing that's very valued for women so that's (laughs) craw a little bit and yeah, and uh, what's his name, Mr. Knightley? Or no, he's not. 
Yes, Mr. Knightley. Mr. Knightley is like kind of teasing Emma because Jane is a much better at the piano than Emma is. And he he can't resist it because he always teases Emma or um or sort of calls her attention to uh, <laughs> uh misbehavior when she misbehaves that sort of thing. And so um and and there's there's a similarity with um little women here with, with uh, the gift of a piano, which um, I thought was interesting, you know, oh, yeah. pianos, pianos just showing up coming from benefactors, uh, which I think is a very cool thing yeah. <laughs> to get as a gift. <laughs> so, but um, we're back in the shop with uh, Emma and Harriet. Oh, and this is where the Martins come in. Mr. Martin and his sisters and this poor guy, you know, Emma made her reject him. And now he's going around looking all puppy dog eyes and stuff. And, <laughs> and, and, and poor Harriet doesn't know what to do with herself. <laughs> and again, like what a beautiful fabric store this is. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and but again, it's uh you know, Harriet and this guy who she rejected before, they just like each other, but uh, yeah, yeah it's and, not to be. Yeah, Harriet is drawn to his whole family, which is interesting because she doesn't have a family. And I think um, part of the appeal of Mr. Martin's is that he has a mother and sisters and everything that she's never had. Hmm. And so um, that was probably, and, and now she feels like her, her friendship with all of them is broken because... Um, you know, she can't go there anymore. And, and so she, she really lost quite a lot when um, Emma made her reject him. Yeah. And um, she's running out in the rain, which is probably not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> and they're getting soaked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I, I, I got to say, I also, I can relate to, on some level because, uh, I, well, I came from a, my family, you know, was uh, not very open with one another. And so as as the, the children grew older in my family, we kind of stopped our traditions of like, you know, buying a Christmas tree and exchanging gifts and that kind of thing. So we kind of all just got tired of it and just didn't keep up with any traditions. And it was fine. But now that I got married with my wife, her and her family just go all out with Christmas and stuff. And so now it's like really nice to have uh, stockings and a Christmas tree and listening to Christmas music and decorating um, the tree. Mm -hmm. And it's wow. Like, yeah, it's something that I didn't have before that I didn't know I would enjoy until I actually had it. And, you know, I can right. see that. And you could tell that she, not only does Harriet really like this guy, but likes his sisters and, you know, the family and, it's just something that she really, really appreciates in general. Like not just him; it's the whole package. It's uh. yeah, yeah. And I don't think Emma recognizes that because she has not felt that need in her own life so much. She she does have um, she is without a mother. Um, I think her mother died when she was a baby, but she has a sister, such as she is. She has her father, and she has not recognized this particular need in Harriet for a family, even though everybody knows Harriet doesn't have a family. That's, she was illegitimate. That's, you know, 
part of the package deal of her life, but mm-hmm. she's I don't thought about what that particular situation feels like uh, from here. Yeah. So uh, Frank Churchill has finally arrived. Uh, Godot did show up after yeah. <laughs> all. And uh, so Emma is sort of sizing him up. Again, we know that she, uh, for, for Mr. and Mrs. Weston's sake, uh, if for no other reason, she wants to think the best of him. And he's doing all he can to ingratiate himself. And so she's sort of thinking, hmm, okay, there's something interesting here. Yeah. And um, again, we're, we're going to see she she's quickly making friends with Frank and he has sort of He's the sort of gossipy friend that appeals to that part of her nature. And again, we're going to see, okay, she needs a friend. She wants a friend. She's going to make a friend, maybe with the possibility of something more. But again, maybe not the healthiest friendship she could have. (laughs) But it it builds something in her, but not necessarily to her better instincts. Yeah. And yeah, I got to admit... Uh, it took me twice watching this movie because I, I really, really loved it the first time. But it's really hard to follow the dialogue if you're not used to it. Yeah, it can be. Because, again, it's it's not just they're, they're talking, they're just saying words. They're saying words that in the order that you're not used to. And they're also using a lot of, uh, I, I gosh, uh, you know, I don't know, the, 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 a lot of flourishes that, uh, that I Flourish- just... Go ahead. What was that? I said flourishes is a good word for yeah, it. Yeah, that I just didn't pick up on. I, it's hard for me to follow. because, And again, the, the, this is a credit to the actors in, in the movie. They speak so fast and so naturally that it was just they, hard for me to follow. And uh, that is definitely a skill. And I don't know if people would actually like dance in public like this, but it's kind of funny and, and charming. Yeah, uh, They're sort of like weaving in and out between the chairs all they're dancing while they're talking about dancing. So that's, that's kind of cute. <laughs> and I don't know how much I would enjoy this myself, uh, having to, you know, because we see this in part in all these movies and it's romantic, but mm-hmm. you have to already know the moves. Mm, it's yeah. a very specific dance and everybody knows how to do them. And it's all meant to be done with other people. Yes. Yes, I've done this kind of dancing a couple of times. There's a place not far from here where they, they uh, sometimes hold what they call contra dances, which is basically just this. And it's hard. Yeah, I can <laughs> imagine. Um, I, and I, I'm, I'm always stunned by the fact that people in movies can do it and talk at the same oh, time. Oh, jeez, yeah. I mean, talk about like rubbing your head and patting your stomach or vice versa, whatever it is, or walking in <laughs> anything like this. I mean, that's how it, that's like the same thing, but like taken up a level, it, it's hard. And they, I mean, the, the amount of practice that must go into it to be able to talk while they're doing these dances, is just phenomenal. Yeah. And I wonder like, cause is it having to be focused on what's the next step or is it so natural that like for regular dancing, like ballroom dancing, a lot of it is, just playing off the next person, the other person. 
Uh-huh. And they're like, yeah, you know, when they say the gentleman leads, the gentleman's leading the woman and he just goes naturally in his direction. And mm-hmm. is it like that at all? Or is it literally like you have to know the steps, you have to know where to go next? Well, I didn't know the steps that well. I, I sort of followed what other people were doing. And basically, I just tried to keep moving and not get trampled, which okay. is... <laughs> really essential because you know you have these long lines of people everybody's in constant motion and you are just really scared of screwing it up and like causing a domino effect or something (laughs) it's uh you may not get all those steps in but you're just like okay keep going keep going keep going keep going (laughs) Uh, i mean there are there is room for pausing sometimes but uh you're just trying very hard not to get stepped on and not to step on other people and not to let <laughs> It's actually been quite some time since I did it, but uh, I, I remember what it was like. And, and it was fun. I mean, I'm not sorry I tried it, but it's it's not easy. Not sure, yeah. Oh, here's where they're talking about the, the piano that was a gift to Jane. And unlike in Little Women, in this case, we don't know uh, where it came from. Yeah, it's a mysterious benefactor, and so Frank and Emma think it's fun to like get gossiping about it and start start <laughs> a little. And uh, again, it just sort of signifies how this friendship is like not the healthiest or the best friendship. They're they're both sort of being indulging in their um, in their bad sides here. Yeah, and it, it's really interesting. I'm noticing this right now that they really don't, Emma really doesn't know why she likes or doesn't like people. You know? That's an, yeah, that's like, true. She doesn't like Jane and she doesn't know why. Uh, her and Mr. Knightley, you know, kind of butted heads at first. And he, I guess, has somewhat of a reason for, for not liking her because she's, you know, a bit, uh, you know, spoiled. But then they, they get along really well also. And yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's just and the only person I really know is Mrs. Miss Bates, because she is she can be annoying, of course. Yeah. But again, not a, not a bad person at all. It's no, a, not at all. Yeah, like like you mentioned before, it's you know she's she's can she just talks and talks and talks and talks and doesn't know when to stop. But is you can't find a bad bone in her body. She's not a bad person. Right. She's very very sweet. Yeah. Um, so. I don't think I've ever seen a violin playing Mr. Knightley before, but uh, mm. <laughs> he's got it. And um, so I, I think this whole situation is just like sort of uh, heightening Emma's dislike for reasons she doesn't fully understand yet. Mm-hmm. And, um, but they're doing this nice little duet and Emma's just sort of stewing away here in her seat. Yeah. And again, uh, you know, uh, she's obviously developing feelings for Mr. Knightley and she doesn't realize it or doesn't want to admit it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I honestly don't think it's dawned on her yet. I think I think she's she feels possessive without quite being aware why she's possessive. Yeah. Oh, but but this does remind me it's something that keeps popping into my head, but I keep uh, forgetting to mention it is. And this song is fine. It's it's pretty and nice, but the music in this movie is phenomenal. There's yes. yeah, there's like this gospel song 
that they keep singing, like this chorus of gospel singers singing, and it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's it just fits so well, and it it oh, I just love that. And it, I don't know if it's the same song, but it sounds very similar, and it is just like a kind of like an I don't know. It, it certainly may be from the time, but it almost sounds like a early twentieth century folk singing. But yeah, it's amazing. It's it's great, and um, it, in a way, it just sort of like pops out of nowhere. Like all of a sudden they're just singing how firm a foundation ye saints of the Lord. It's like, uh, it's like out of nowhere. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you're like, okay, how do, I don't know how that goes with the situation, but wow, it's kind of awesome. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful songs. Yeah. yeah. So I, I love the way they did that and the way they use music in general here. Um, so here we have a small cataclysm because Mr. El- Elton went and got himself married and now his wife gets to be in the front pew <laughs> and Harriet's like all kind of uh, discomfited. Yeah, I guess and, so. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Elton is still like enunciating and shouting in odd ways. <laughs> and um, but he's, you can see, uh, this goes back to what we said earlier. He's all sort of like preening himself that he got a wife, you know, and he he can sort of lo- lord it over Emma and who rejected him and like all the single women. And he's all special now because he's married. And that's <laughs> <laughs> very much was what we were talking about before. Yeah. And Mrs. Elton is just kind of a jerk. And um, very, I mean, she's even more snobbish than Emma in her way. And Emma, of course, hates that because, you know, we always hate the people who have our own bad qualities, I think. Right. You know, pride. <laughs> people and um so this uh, relationship is not going well at all (laughs) (laughs) well mr and mrs elton they kind of deserve each other you know because they're both awful in in their own way yeah and i think i want to commend the uh the um the casting director for casting very odd looking people and that's not to yeah. say that uh, you know I'm not I'm not insulting the actors for how they look. They they I mean if you see pictures of them, they look just fine. They but they they know how to accentuate their own you know look to look very you know kind of very strange. Mm. <laughs> you know they they play into that heightened or intensified. Yeah, yeah heightened and intensified their you know their qualities that uh, you know made them look. Very strange, and again with the this actress, her kind of Princess Leia curls on her on the side oh, of her yeah. head, plus the little antenna bow on the top of her head. It's, yeah. it's brilliant. It's really brilliant because again, th- their facial expressions are ridiculous, and plus their outfits are just look crazy. It's yeah. And, and Emma's father is so funny here because uh, he, I mean, he was just like sort of sitting there frozen and Emma is making faces and this woman is basically making all these faux pas and thinking she's like the queen of, or the belle of the ball. <laughs> and so Emma fussing over uh, Mrs. Elton saying nightly. And, and it, it's, it's interesting because Emma herself doesn't even call him nightly. She calls him Mr. Nightly. And it, it, I, I'm always curious about surnames in Austin and, and how they work. I haven't, I've never quite figured it out hmm. because, um, you know, in Sense and Sensibility, they all call Willoughby Willoughby, his, his last name. They don't say Mr. Willoughby. Hmm. So I don't 
it has to do with like your level of society, what you're supposed to call men. But it's it's very odd. Like Mr. Knightley says Emma, but Emma says Mr. Knightley. So I I I I, sh- I should look that up sometime because I've never quite figured it out. Yeah. But obviously, there are rules for it, as there are for like everything in the society. I, now you have. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, please, please go. I was just going to say, you do have to hand it to Miss Bates here because she doesn't take things for granted. And that's one of the nicest things about her. She's appreciative of everything. She, everywhere she goes, she's just so in awe. She loves everything. And, uh, it, you know, she's not complacent in the least. Yeah. (laughs) Probably what makes her the most annoying person is how positive she is about everything. (laughs) Yeah. So it's it's like a a double edge. what am I trying to say? Double-edged sword or? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, something with two sides to it. Is basically... <laughs> it, it, it. It's very sweet. And at the same time, it can annoy the heck out of you when she keeps doing it. It doesn't stop. <laughs> yeah, but she just finds delight in everything. And it's just, you know, which makes her, again, a funny, funny character for this. Yes. And, yeah, Miranda, I, I want to say that... Um, yeah, Miranda, I forget what her name is. Miranda. Uh, Miranda. What was that? Miranda Hart. Miranda Hart, yes. Her, my wife loves her because my wife is very tall and it's very difficult for, you know, for a, for a lady to be tall. And Miranda, not only is she tall, but she's very funny also. And Ooh. yeah, she just, she has a TV show on Hulu about being single and tall and wanting to you know in her dating life and all it's she's and she's brilliant she's really really is funny and yeah it's very it's very much a british show because it's not like american shows it's very it's shot very differently and but yeah Yeah. it's still very funny yeah yeah and uh i just have to observe that um, Mrs. Elton's hair here makes her look like what am I thinking? A Pomeranian? Long <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. ears. <laughs> so that that sort of uh, ties to what you were saying earlier about the character quirks and the quirks in their appearances. Yeah. And a big kerfuffle about who dances with who first, and Mrs. Elton having insisting on being first in everything because she's a married woman. Which again just goes back to like what we we're saying before about that and and how uh, people like sort of presume on their marital status. So um, yeah, but we we finally got all that sorted out and now everybody is uh, dancing and everybody was satisfied for the moment. Right. So, but yes, again, it, here we have the dancing with the talking. Well, they're not talking at the moment, but they were a minute ago, and, yeah, yeah. and it's so so incredible to me that people can actually do that (laughs) (laughs) so and and um now here we see mr knightley sort of aware of all the little niceties and, and sort of observing what people are going through and he he has a better understanding of some things than emma because while emma is like always going around trying to help people in like ways where she's kind of ignorant of what they really need. Mr. Knightley here accurately notices that uh, Harriet's being very cruelly publicly snubbed by Mr. Elton. Mm -hmm. And he immediately steps in to do something about it and is very kind to her. So 
Um, when he, he may not be like going around trying to help all and sundry all the time, but when he helps, uh, he knows how to do it right. And, yeah. uh, just really, really sweet where he, he immediately pulls Harriet out of this fog of misery she's in and, uh, honors her because to dance with him is an honor for her. And, um, so it, th this is one of those moments where you see that he's like genuinely a worthy hero of the story. Yeah. And very, again, humble and aware of his place and aware of what it means to ask Harriet to dance. Yeah. You this know. is what you might call, yeah, th this is what you might call, um, I forget the phrase, but like you using your privilege to help others. Yeah. I mean, use the best way. And yeah, and now you just see the delight in her in her eyes. It's it's great. It's such a sweet moment for Harriet. Yes. And uh, Mr. Knightley is actually having fun for once, which is nice yeah. <laughs> because he, he's not exactly a grump, but but uh, he we do see a for purposes of the story we do see him a lot of the time just sort of being a little bit uh, contrarian or cranky. Yeah. But, uh, you know, here he's sort of letting loose. And I love the framing of this shot. You know, they do their little bow and curtsy. And that now they you see them, like, sort of framed uh, with their backs to us in this shot. And, again, having a very natural moment. And she's praising him for what he just did. Uh, he's acknowledging that she was right about Harriet having good qualities. Um, and the camera's just slowly moving in. So it's all very nicely set up. Yeah. Yeah, this is again because they're they're not facing the camera. We're not we don't see their faces, but we see the conversation, and we're like you mentioned. Oh, I yeah, beautifully shot. Yeah, yeah, we get everything we need at, from their their voices and their words. And now we're sort of zooming in on the faces, but they're still kind of shadowed a little bit. This is just really beautifully done. Yeah, and, and uh, very intimate moment. Mm -hmm. And is he at the same class level as Emma? Uh, Mr. Knightley? Mr. Knightley, yeah. Yes, that they are they are both um upper class rich. Now I not not being an expert on these things, I'm not quite sure if if like for instance, if Emma went to London instead of this small country town, I don't know like exactly where she would fall on the social ladder. She's She's a gentleman's daughter and a rich gentleman's daughter at that. So that would probably entitle her to certain things. Sure. She, I don't think she, I'm not, I don't think she would quite be like running with royalty, but she would be, you know, somewhere up there towards the higher end. Yes. But in this little town, of course, she's the queen. <laughs> she, <laughs> she, she's uh, and Mr. Knightley is also uh, rich and upper class. So he he doesn't. Um, he handles it a little bit differently than she does. You know, he's not trying to be center of attention or he doesn't trying is maybe the wrong word. Emma sort of just takes it as her due that she's center of attention. Yeah. Mr. Knightley want to be center of attention. Uh, he uses his privilege in various ways. As we've seen, he tries to use it for good, um, but he, he does have, it, which is a very long way of answering your question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So now they're dancing together 
and um, it's it's getting kind of it's funny how a dance can sort of get like intimate when there's like all these people doing it at the same time in this, these long lines but but this dance is getting very intimate for the two of them sort of following from that moment in the doorway and um i'm trying <laughs> i'm trying to imagine what it's like when you're doing one of these dances and you're falling in love as you do it because i mean that was <laughs> that would definitely like make you stop moving i think I think this is coming up in a second here. Um, you know, you, you fall in love, you stop moving, you get all like sort of loony eyed and then people trip over you. So. <laughs> yeah. It's well, because flirting's going to happen no matter what. And you know, they say that, uh, you know, back in when people actually, uh, court, when courtship was a thing, mm-hmm. you know, they found ways of saying things that, uh, you know, you're not supposed to say in those situations. they, you yeah. <laughs> yeah like you just mentioned but yeah it's uh and just like this you know they everybody's dancing together this is part of a big group dance but just the way that you flirt i guess is by you know looking at each other across the room when you're dancing with somebody else yeah and they just lucked out that everybody didn't fall over them at that point yeah but see, i love this he looks like he's just been well, they both sort of look like they've been hit on the head with a two-by-four. There's something definitely going on here. Yeah. And him especially. He's just like, whoa, you know, I've known this girl all, all my life. She's my sister-in-law. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, why, why has this never, like, occurred to me before? Yeah, and, uh, in the, the same sense that he doesn't – he does have a problem with her privilege, with her – how she treats other people, how she sees herself. Yeah. And so now he, but now he can't help it. He has feelings for her. Yeah. Yeah. And she's just sort of drifting around looking all dazed. And um, he's like running around like a crazy person. I I think he, I I think that there was something said earlier about how he likes to walk everywhere. So I think he loaned her his, carriage and he walked home but he ended up running home because um i I like to call this like the gene kelly moment in movies because like (laughs) (laughs) love and he it makes him act all goofy because like um gene kelly would let go into a dance here and be all goofy and adorable oh yeah (laughs) acting like that um and and uh Oh, and here comes Harriet, having been um, attacked on the way home. And uh, the, the, this is where <laughs> I like the slapstick here, where he's swinging her around, and she's sort of, everybody has to duck. <laughs> <laughs> it sort of fits with the the kind of relieves the mood of just a minute ago, and yeah. uh, that's nicely done, you know. All, all <laughs> coming so close upon each other, and she's certainly playing up the dramatics here Harriet (laughs) and um, uh, Frank Churchill uh, was the one who rescued her and so and and yes Harriet is being very melodramatic as he said (laughs) and and um, But 
and Mr. Knightley is still kind of thrown for a loop about everything that's been <laughs> But uh, Emma is going to start to get ideas with this whole Frank Churchill and Harriet thing. And <laughs> you got in the midst of all those melodramatics, she's like, I'm in love again. And, and uh, Emma immediately thinks she's got it figured out. And uh, <laughs> and she's immediately going to try to start to make things happen because even though she thought she learned a lesson before, she really didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to take a few lessons to get her straightened out. I, I got to say, I, I, the, we saw Mr. Knightley getting dressed at the beginning of the movie, and I think uh, once again later, the layers that they have to wear. Yes. Oh gosh. They've got to be burning up. It has. Yeah. To, oh, it's got to be warm. It's get out, and I guess the ladies also, right? Because they have to wear corsets and then under, you know, stockings. Yeah. yeah it's gloves lot. and oh. Now, now, fortunately, England is not one of the warmer countries around, but even so, it can get warm. And, um, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. And, <laughs> of course, in history class, you hear about those the colonization of Africa where they go to a country that's 120 degrees and they still have to have their tea, you know, under, <laughs> under giant umbrellas. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, Lots of culture shock going on there, and and um, a lot of like not being able to adapt. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but it's funny just going off what you were just saying. How whenever Mr. Knightley gets excited, he just starts disrobing. <laughs> 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 all the way here, but he, he still got his Gene Kelly moment in progress a little bit here, where he acts all funny. Yeah. And uh, this is part of it, and he's still like sort of reeling under his the, this realization of his and the servants are just like okay well must be a day ending in y because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i guess uh maybe he just like disrobes a lot or <laughs> i shouldn't <Yeah>. say disrobes. <laughs> <laughs> if he has a, like a dedicated butler to to pick up his clothes when he drops them all over the place you know the housekeeper's going why can't he throw them in the hamper <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, his, his, maybe his privilege is uh, peeking out a little bit there. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Mr. Elton being, or Mrs. Elton, I'm sorry, being obnoxious as usual, and Jane being reserved as usual, and um, they're they're setting up a like a little house party, and um, it's. It's funny, Mrs. when Mrs. Elton tries to start running everything, Mr. Knightley sort of steps in and, and uh, takes over because uh, I think she gets to him just as much as she gets to Emma and everybody else. Hmm. Yeah. What I really do like, though, again, done very well by the screenwriter. Uh, again, I haven't read the book, but Jane isn't a bad person either. She's not right. overly rude to Emma. Mm-hmm. She is just a, a regular person who, she, yeah, she doesn't like Emma and Emma doesn't like her, but neither of them are overtly terrible to one another. And Right, right. And I think, I mean, this adaptation, I've been thinking, I think Jane comes across as hostile is too strong a word maybe, but I think she, she has, she's got a little more edge to her in this one than she usually does. 
I seem to remember that in most adaptations, she's usually just very quiet, mm. um, which is something that Emma doesn't understand at all and can't really play off of. And so that's another reason for her, like, not wanting to be thrown together with Jane. But um, so Jane is just sort of either way, she sort of gives off a, a please leave me alone vibe. Yeah. But yeah, we, again, we, we have Emma and Mr. Knightley sort of making eyes at each other. Um, <laughs> a moment there. And uh, so things are going on in that department. This house is something else. It, it makes me think of museums that I've walked through. With, Absolutely. Like, all over the walls. And um uh, I mean, I cannot imagine what it's like to live in a place like that. I, it's it, it's fun to visit, but I just can't imagine. I think I'd be afraid every moment that I'd spill something, mess something up. Uh, <laughs> it would be extremely intimidating. Yeah. And I, I guess I, I got to commend the what I love about these movies, uh, and they've been there's been a few that have been made, is everything is. Everybody is at the top of their game as far as the the costume designer, the set designer, the cinematographer, the you know the lighting person, and the acting also. She, yeah. They're in this museum-looking house, and these two women, Emma and, um, gosh, I keep forgetting people's names, I, but them sitting there almost like they're also a work of art like every other piece of painting here just they're the the way the camera you know positions them right yeah on, it, they look like a painting themselves yeah and then that moment just now when emma and jane were walking toward each other oh, yeah. and it, it looked like a duel in a western <laughs> <laughs> and um and but but this is the that that's particularly interesting because this turns out to be the first like really human moment between them where Jane suddenly, I'm not feeling well, please make my excuses for me. Something's the matter with her and Emma's confused. And so it turns out not to be a hostile interaction after all, after that setup. And uh, so it was a very, I, I thought it was a very interesting and, and cool approach. Yeah. And it's just, it, and stuff like this isn't fair. Uh, I say with, uh, I would say Audrey Hepburn is a good example. And Anya, you know, Taylor Joy here is another otherworldly beautiful. Like mm -hmm. beautiful beyond understanding. Like, you know, in, in how she's presented, how she looks, how she's, oh, she's just beautiful yeah. beyond understanding how. It's... <laughs> Yeah, and she has a very interesting and unique sort of facial shape, and mm. so it's not like a, it's not like a bland beauty. It's a very interesting kind of beauty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, With those enormous eyes and and um, just a very a fascinating person to look at. Um, in in uh, the Queen's Gambit, also, I I, I love the way like they dressed her and styled her. Um, she's just any setting you put her in or costumes you put her in, she's just a very interesting person to look at. Yeah. And so here she is chumming with Frank again. And uh, we're going to, now we see them at the picnic, um, which again is a very luxurious setup <laughs> outdoors instead of indoors, but still very luxurious. And now here, this brings us, 
whole issue of friendship sort of to a head because Emma is hanging out with Frank. Frank is in, I guess, a mischievous kind of mood. He wants to start something and Emma is sort of in a mood to go along <laughs> and they're both going to cause trouble. <laughs> and, and, and they, um, it's, it's going to get really awkward <laughs> because yeah. she, again, they bring out the worst in each other. And it's, it's just because they, they both feel like, you know, um, being a little selfish and, and indulging their worst impulses and, you know, not really caring how it affects other people. Right. Like all of their worst qualities are coming out. Uh, here we have, uh, I, I don't know. I know. I don't think I ever got her name, but the 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 pastor's oh. new wife. Yes. Yeah. He, the pastor is just bored as all get out. His wife hates being outdoors. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we have this guy. Uh, you know, <laughs> just being obnoxious, deciding to be. You know, starts like you said, start something. And so, like, all, everybody's worst qualities are about to come out, except for, of course, Mr. Knightley and and Miss Bates. Yes. Yes. And that's... Uh, uh, and, uh, oh, I hate this moment. No. I tend to suffer very intense secondhand embarrassment for fictional characters. And... <laughs> If I were watching alone, this would this might be a moment where I would like to stop the DVD and sit here and cringe because I, know. <laughs> I, inside. I mean, Emma immediately knows she's done something terrible. Poor Miss Bates is just mortified. Jane and, and Mr. Knightley are mortified for her. And Mrs. Even Mrs. Elton. I mean, when Mrs. Elton is like looking down on something you've just done, you yeah. know, you <laughs> because she is the worst and so emma has just like basically uh I, I mean she's just publicly poked fun at somebody and and you know th this this really brings out something i like in austin it's something i like in authors generally when they can put they don't they put their own faults into a story um austin loved to poke fun at people in, in fiction she did it all the time um I think she probably did it in real life too. Um, she's she's known to have been very witty in her letters and very sarcastic sometimes. Uh, and so she gives this quality to Emma, and she has Emma use it to do something terrible. Yeah. And it, it's sort of like the uh, Dorothy Sayers, who uh, you know I love, is another author who's extremely good at this, putting their own faults into fiction, um, to um, and just saying, "Look, this is my own fault." This is, this is my own vice. This is something I do that's bad. And, uh, you know, <laughs> this is what happens when it gets out of control. Yeah. So it takes a level of self-awareness on an author's part that's really pretty impressive. But anyway, here you have poor Miss Bates just crushed. And she's so sweet. God bless her. She's trying to, to be gallant about it. She's trying to pass it off. She's trying to, like, laugh with everybody. And she's just crushed. And, um, and so... 
Frank is sitting with Emma, like, you know, well, that that was fine. That was no big deal. And Emma knows it was a big deal. And she's just um, feeling really bad. Yeah, because it was almost like in, you know, I don't know, in modern times, that would kind of be a joke that you would make, a, you know, poke fun at somebody here. But in in that situation, Emma just said something that she thinks all the time in her head. <laughs> probably think it too but there's a reason why we don't say it out loud she just said it out loud and um and mr knightley as is his want is going to call her on the carpet for it it doesn't matter that he's in love with her now he's still going to call her out right uh you know very good of him and and he's going to make a point that is really an excellent point and goes to the heart of a lot of things we've talked about which is that miss bates is poor she used to have privilege she's fallen from that level which you know did tend to happen to women because like if if a wealthy relative or something if the flow of wealth dried up you could end up really poor and and lower class and that's what's happened to miss bates and so mr knightley as we would put it today is saying that Emma was punching down. Um, she was making fun of somebody who she, a privileged person, should never have made fun of. Right. That's the that's the real heart of the issue. But and everything that he says about her is like in front of other people, people that yeah. look up to you, that act certain a certain ways because you know they're following your lead. That's you have. Right a huge responsibility to not do things like that. And worst of all, and I think it's like this knife that keeps getting jabbed into Emma is that Mrs. Bates doesn't, you know, she says, I must have said something disagreeable. Yes. Yes. And that's so sad because, because uh, I mean, bless her heart. She's always saying she, she's always being annoying, but she didn't mean to be. And she was just really trying hard to fit in. And Emma's remark made her feel that she does. She really doesn't fit in. And I love this little moment, by the way, with Emma and her father, where he is just like sort of live, living in his own little bubble mm. and not really and, and, and very selfish, as we've said. And yet Emma confesses to him here. This doesn't happen in the book. In the book, Emma says these things to herself. I think it's interesting that here she says them to her father. Hmm. And so he's just like, he doesn't quite know what to do with that. He's so selfish and snobby himself. And yet he's still her father. He loves her. Um, he's just going to sort of listen and be there for her. And maybe he can't do much, but he's going to do what little he can do. Yeah. And that's rather. So, um, so yeah. And here Emma is dying inside because she's going to go and try to make amends and uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is just very good here. Her facial expression says it all. I mean, this is an expression we've never seen from Emma. I mean, she's truly and genuinely embarrassed, sorry, mortified, guilty, all these things. Yeah. And, oh, man, I mean, just Miss Bates just trying to, like, is you know, somebody who I'm sure in her position would think, does everybody think this way of me? Or I yeah. thought, I thought Emma liked me. I thought we were friends. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Knightley at some point in his speech says that 
you know, when you were little, it was an honor for you to be taken for her, for Mrs. Bates to take notice of you. Mm. And so Bates, uh, we're led to believe at one point was even more privileged than Emma. And that's saying a lot. So she has fallen really far. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, the more you learn about her, the more you like her, because I mean, look at how she's handled such a fall. She's not bitter. She's not, uh, Resentful. She's not, a gra- <laughs> not resentful. She's just always very sweet. Um, and always trying to, you know, be friendly. And Emma's brought her something to, you know, make amends, but it's just, you know, the hurt is still there and it's probably going to be for a while. And there's just nothing that can be done about that. Yeah. And of course, Jane has fled and doesn't want anything to do with Emma. And that, that, that's sort of like one more little twist of the knife that even this girl that she can't stand doesn't want anything to do with her and, and just, I mean, insult to injury. <laughs> yeah. And so I think her father is doing what he can to help out here by, by saying that Emma went to uh, take something to Miss Bates. And uh, so Mr. Knightley knows that at least she's trying to do something about it. Yeah. And they, but again, you know, just Miss Bates continues to be kind and see the yeah. positive in and Emma and yeah, Mr. Knightley, it, it, it just shows how much power Emma has that she, mm. when she misuses it, it just, everybody feels it. Right. Right. That, that's exactly right. Because um, <clears throat> like you were saying before, they, everybody sort of looks up to her, emulates her, respects her. And um, she, she has an effect on people that she has, not paid proper attention to. Mm. So um, here, they're they're uh, the Westons are telling Emma that uh, Frank was secretly engaged to Jane all this time, which just puts Frank in a really bad light because all this time he has joined Emma in gossiping about her, and you know they they were trying to keep it secret because his aunt. That he, he wants to behave exactly as his aunt wants him to because his aunt is rich and is going to leave him her money. Hmm. So they kept the engagement secret. But then he went and gossiped about Jane and like, I mean, he did too good a job of keeping it secret. He pretended like she deserved like no respect at all and was just uh, rude about her. And uh, I mean, you really have to feel sorry for Jane for ending up with this yeah. jerk. <laughs> I mean, she deserves better. <laughs> it's almost like uh, by the end of this, like this whole time, as you mentioned, like everybody's acting, you know, a particular way because that's how you, we act in polite society. And right now, like the, the cover is being pulled off of everything. Like yeah. people are being exposed. Realities are coming to the forefront and, Everybody's realizing how dark the world actually kind of is, how bad people are. Yeah, and, and they're they're sort of realizing, you know, okay, this is maybe this is why we need manners. <laughs> maybe, uh, again, Emma has the job of uh, disillusioning Harriet. Only um, the situation in this case is not quite what she thought. 
And um, she thought, it's kind of funny because uh, the Westons thought that Emma was in love with Frank. Yeah. Um, and I thought that Harriet was in love with Frank and everybody's been talking past each other this time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, <laughs> it, it turns out that the only one who was in love with Frank was Jane and poor Jane. Uh, I mean, Eesh. it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, Harriet was really in love with Mr. Knightley all the time. And uh, so Emma sort of created a monster here because she still has that that class stuff unconsciously in her brain, even though she didn't realize it. And she never thought that Harriet would aspire to Mr. Knightley, who is so much higher than her in the social system. Yeah. But Emma had told her a lot of things about how anything can happen. And Harriet took her word for it. And uh, so now we have a little bit of a mess on our hands. Yeah. Ugh. And yeah, her her jealousy is now coming up. It's, you know. Yes. She's kind of realizing, oh, because it's not like Mr. Knightley is liked by somebody like Jane that Emma doesn't like. You know, Emma, you know, you know she, I mean, you know, Harriet likes Mr. Knightley. And she can't be mad at her or, you know, look down on or, you know, be upset at Mr. Knightley for that. Yeah, because she she sort of was unwittingly pushing things in that direction or <laughs> creating the conditions in which things could move in that direction. Yeah. And she also remembers that... Um, Mr. Knightley had said, oh, you were right. Harriet really does have good qualities. So now she's like, um, why did I, <laughs> why did I try to some of that? I sort of shot myself in the foot here. And um, now Harriet's figuring this out that she thinks Emma likes him, which um, I don't, I think this is a difference from the book. Um, Harriet didn't figure that out on her own in the book, but that's, that's just a, a small uh, difference. Anyway, I think Emma's now figuring it out finally. <laughs> now, and, yeah, go ahead. Based on other adaptations, where, where would you rank this one? That's a really good question because um, I haven't seen them all. Um, I like this one a lot. I think I like. I, I think I would have to watch it again, but I might put the Gwyneth Paltrow adaptation just a hair above this one mm -hmm. because um, this one is very, very stylized in a lot of ways. And that one, they more play it straight a little bit. Um, like with stylized adaptations, I like them a lot. I think it's good that we have them. They sort of make us look at things differently, but then I kind of, I, I, I just kind of naturally gravitate to ones that play it straight. All right. Uh, the story a little bit more straightforwardly. Um, so that's just my preference, but I do think this is very, very, very well done. Yeah. Cause I love, I, again, I didn't, I haven't read the book, but I love this movie. I think it is brilliant. I think like I, I keep gushing about the cinematography and the costuming, but I don't know if that's as important as actually being true to the book because 
if the author has something to say and they have something wonderful to say and they have a wonderful story, then yeah, a, a movie being different, you know, even though it's great, it is still different. But I don't mean to say that this one is really, really different. It's, oh, yeah, yeah. it's, it's more a question of style than substance in this case. Yeah. Um, okay. the, the new uh, David Copperfield, which I love, by the way, and recommend, um, by um, Iannucci. What's his first name? Armand Iannucci, I think. Anyway, it's really, really good. But it, too, is very, very stylized. And so I, I think it's, I would call it an essential adaptation. I think it's marvelous we have it. But again, I'm sort of naturally drawn to stories that um, are told a little bit more straightforwardly. It's not so much a question of difference as it is from like just giving you the story the way a storyteller would. Hmm. But um, I do like, although with the new David Copperfield, I do like the, the multi-ethnic uh, aspect of it. That's that's something Iannucci decided to do that um, I kind of like. He cast uh, Dev Patel in the lead, yeah. and 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 did a number of of uh, did did a bunch of multiracial casting in various roles, and uh, I think it works rather well for that story. Um, it, 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 I think it's uh, worth trying in other period dramas too because it just mixes things up a little bit, refreshes them, makes you think differently about. Um, all these class issues and so forth that we've been dealing with. And I, I think it's a, a nice trend that um, I'd like to see more of. Yeah. I really, really, really want to see that because I love that director, Armando Iannucci, because uh, in the loop and death of Stalin, I think death of Stalin was one of my favorite movies of a few years ago. Good movie. I just watched it not long ago and uh, was enormously impressed with it. Yeah. Because of the language that he uses, I, Armando Iannucci uses filthy language and anger and rage and stuff. So for him to adapt a David Copperfield, I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, a, a lot of people said that at the time, and I didn't. It was my first uh, Iannucci movie I'd watched, so I didn't get what they, they were talking about. And then I watched Death of Stalin, and I was like, oh, that's what they're talking about. Now, need uh, <laughs> for a minute. Oh, geez, yeah. <laughs> I, I looked up, at, I was reading about it online. I was like, why did they do this? And um, there were various theories and so forth. And the director said that she just sort of wanted to show that these characters, uh, for all their manners and privilege and grace, they're both sort of hot messes. And so, yeah, okay, that I, I understand, but it just makes it kind of bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I would have put that in. Uh, I mean, the, mo the moment is is uh, really intense. And, and this is sort of the moment that everybody in an Austin adaptation is waiting for. The hero and heroine are finally going to get together. They're in love. And um, and then you have a nosebleed. And it's just like kind of uh, gets weird. <laughs> yeah, it just comes out of nowhere. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, it's hilarious. And it adds to the whole slapstickiness of this adaptation, the goofiness. Yeah that all of a sudden this beautiful, you know, prim, sophisticated girl, not only is she like opening up as a person, like just being as honest as she has ever been to this guy that she has feelings for, but then, you know, her nose starts bleeding, which just adds to the, to the <laughs> humiliation and the embarrassment of it all. But, uh, yeah. yeah. But again, that's more of a director's 
you know, or the screenwriters kind of, that's more from their pen, not from the actual, you know, story. Yeah. Yeah. And and it seems like we're always seeing Emma taking baskets to people these days. And yeah. in this case, <laughs> she's, um, she's sort of trying to set things right between Robert Martin and Harriet. And um, so she's um, going to try to like, back out of the situation and, and put it back the way it should have been all along with Robert and Harriet together because um, they really were genuinely fond of each other the whole time. And if it weren't for Emma, they would probably be married by now. <laughs> and trying, to, trying to put things right again and here's that song again how firm a yeah. foundation is just awesome and I, I gotta say just again with the whole cinematography and the 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 facial characters like just how they use faces in this just the sourpuss that he has on his face when that you know she comes and brings him the basket and like you know talks to him and then it's just a face a head-on shot of him with like this sad kind of dopey look on his face it's just so funny and yeah so harriet went back with him after all and i have to wonder a little bit okay so how is this marriage gonna go yeah <laughs> so i mean i don't think she meant to be fickle but she was fickle and um now in the book, I was just looking through the book again uh, to try to refresh my memory on a few things. In the book, Austin is like, you know, this really turns out to be the best possible marriage for Harriet because she's going to be like tucked away on a little farm where she's happy. She's not exposed to like all to temptations. She's not going to be like led astray by lots of men and she's going to be in a good situation and it's all going to be fine. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> yes. but um, and then the movie adds something here. It's a, it says Harriet found out who her father is and he's a tradesman. And oh, yeah. Emma's like, you're not a gentleman's daughter. Well, that's okay. Bring your father to see me and everything's fine. And that's not in the book. And I, I, I think they sort of put it in to just clarify that, okay, Emma's not a snob anymore. But um, <clears throat> Austin just sort of leaves that a little bit ambiguous. I mean, she, she does in the book, she does tell Harriet, okay, bring Robert Martins to, to Hartfield to my house and I can officially recognize him. And so that means, you know, she has sort of been able to get past the class thing, yeah. but it's like they wanted to make it extra clear and extra emphatic here. Yeah. I mean, if it's not in the book, then that, that is very strange that they added that. Yeah, it almost seems unnecessary. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, it's just like it, it's almost like you know we we don't want there to be any mistake about this about Emma not being such a snob anymore. But but um, they didn't have to do it that way, so I don't know why they did. Maybe to just just to show that Emma was like wrong about everything from the beginning. But like when she had her theory that. Uh, Harriet was a gentleman's daughter. And he, he, here, this is cute with uh, them trying to make eyes at each other and uh, not let her father <laughs> see. And he's just all being his uh, rigid self. Yeah. Oh, the many times I've gone to a girl's house to hang out with her and her father and we just sat and read. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> you have to sort of think that her father is, um, her father is sort of catching on here. 
Yeah. Because, like, he's feeling a draft, as he so often does, but he's, it's going to turn out that he has the screen in front of him and they can canoodle on the other side of the screen. And so um, this is a little bit, I mean, you could take this in different ways. You could say, like, he's just being himself again. He's just doing what he always does. Or maybe he's doing like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I see you two flirting, so you know, yeah. have at it. <laughs> <laughs> Put this divider because again, yeah, I, I think you're right. Because well, I think the I would say the former is probably the case because uh, he, you know, they can't be in a room by themselves at night. Of course, that's not what society would dictate. But he would. This is the best way to have them by themselves have have a moment together. Yeah. Especially if they're not really official yet, if they're not really, you know, in, uh, I, how would, what do you call that? Uh, dating, going steady? I don't know what they called it back then, but. Well, in, in this, in, in this time and place and, and uh, scenario, I think you went straight to engage oh, or at least, wow. <laughs> but uh, it, according with an eye to engagement. Now this is, this is huge in Austin's world. He's just offered to leave his home and come live at hers. Oh yeah. For a man to do that in this world was enormous. So like if he's willing to do that for her, then you know, he's absolutely crazy about her. Yeah. Especially when he has that really nice home. I mean, hers is no slouch, but his is, is extraordinary. Yeah. So I don't really know if they would truly be doing this with her father just on the side of other side of the screen. <laughs> it is the happy ending and so forth, so we'll just, you know, let it pass. Yeah. In modern day, yeah, that this would happen. This is a very modern ending. Yes. And the the servants are just sort of going to ignore it. And uh, <laughs> we started with the wedding and Miss, Mrs. Weston's wedding. And we're going to end with the wedding. And it makes a nice little sort of bookend. Um, and we see the, that nice little church one more time. And... Um, Yeah. Miss Bates <laughs> looking all I, I, I don't know I think maybe she's feeling a little bit better I hope so yeah yeah I, I, I often comment that uh, in movies and TV they make almost no effort to make the dress beautiful a mm -hmm. lot of times and I think they do a good job here for the time it's it's more of the head headwear that's uh, you know a kind of, kind of uh, flamboyant and yeah but. Yeah, yeah, and and her father is sort of like I think he's he's thinking he's acting very nobly and he's taking some comfort in that. And <laughs> I, I think it's so hard for him to to give her away, even though she's not really going anywhere. Yeah, but 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 he's he he has accepted a change, and for him that is a very big deal. And yeah, we have the uh, <laughs> the family. Yeah, so we're sort of saying goodbye to all the couples. And again, I I really feel for Jane. I, I yeah. I, uh, 
I mean, she's happy. She got her happy ending such as it is, but uh, I can't imagine being happy with somebody who acted like that. So, no. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I would read a spinoff about Jane. <laughs> what yeah. happened? But uh, Emma got her happy ending. And so that's that's the main thing. Yeah. So, they, yeah. I'm sorry. Go on. No, no. Yeah. I mean, because Jane, again, and I, th- I think it's great that they don't make Jane a villain or even that bad of a person in in general. Mm-hmm. Like she's she's not she doesn't snipe at uh, at at Emma doesn't say anything cruel behind her back or to her face. She, they just don't like each other because of how they acted at first. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. she just uh, seems uh, like a delightful person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, I think um, I, I just want to sort of finish things off by saying something about them about, human relationships in general and and relationship dynamics. I mean, she was, she was very limited in her experience and she said as much, she said, you know, I, all I know is like a little country village and and the sort of life that goes on there. And I write about that. Uh, But in her own little sphere, she was incredibly observant and um, incredibly understanding of human nature and how it works and the things we do to each other. And, um, she, you know, Austin is, um, she is, she is such a hot property. She has, she is just mm-hmm. so continually trendy uh, that people sort of misunderstand how much she really has to offer. They sell her short. I, I was looking at a picture in a magazine the other day. Um, it said something, it, it, it had this, uh, it was a picture of somebody like in old fashioned garb standing like in a field or something. It, it said it was supposed to be like reflective of Jane Austen. Well, the dress was all wrong. The hair was all wrong. Everything was <laughs> Jane Austen. And I thought this is so typical, you know, everything gets Jane Austen's name slapped on it. You know, everything yeah. that's old fashioned or pretty or, you know, whatever. Um, and it's kind of like um, all those memes you see floating about on the internet with, um, fake quotes by C.S. Lewis. You know, everybody, <laughs> everybody has a fake Lewis quote to suit their taste, and it's a, uh, Austin gets sort of the same treatment. Everybody tries to make Austin over in their image, you know, as this swoony romantic type, and she was not. It, it, it's 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 kind of astounding because she could write a great love story, but she did it in the service of saying all these, you know, very sharp and sometimes cynical and very witty things about human nature, human relationships, friendships, families, romances. I mean, she was really uh, quite discerning. And, you know, people, I I think we do her a disservice when we just um, try to make her into this big romantic, because I think that was a side of her nature. And yet she was so much more than that. She was satirical and, um, and smart and uh, had a lot of, like I said earlier, she asks questions about her society. Even if she's not ready to go out and lead a revolution, she's willing willing to question things and comment on things and make you think about things. And there's just so much to her. And so I I do, um, I I always appreciate a good adaptation that really brings all those things out um, in her. And I think this one does do that. Yeah, I it it does it, and again I I've never read the the book, but 
but I adored this movie. I just thought it was just so well done. And it's yeah. the humor of it, the the costuming, the, the the cinematography, the settings. It's all beautiful, and I'm glad that th- these movies are being are getting done, especially by female directors that I think understand it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. focus focus more on the characters themselves as opposed to just relationships. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I've I've never I don't think I've ever seen any other films by Autumn DeWild. I, I think that's the first time I've said her name, but that that's her name, right? Autumn yeah, yeah. DeWild. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, she unmistakably has a very clear vision. Um, she has she 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 has a great eye for style, and she sort of uses it in all kinds of interesting ways. She uses it to make a point, and um, she likes she. She lets she sort of brings out the extravagance of of the settings and the characters, um, but yeah, she just did a really really nice job here. Yeah. Okay, well, another episode in the bag. This was great. I, if uh, if I yeah, I think that uh, we're gonna get listeners who uh, adore Jane Austen, and. Yeah. Uh, but uh, if if you get a chance to see the movie, I absolutely recommend it. And yeah, uh, yeah. and again, I uh, I don't know. I, now I kind of really want to read Jane Austen, <laughs> yeah. you know, because I, I when I was young, I read a lot of classics just because I felt I needed to. I needed to know them, so I read mm-hmm. Sense and Sensibility, and uh, mm-hmm. I think I, I I think I also read at least parts of uh, Pride and Prejudice. But uh, again, it wasn't because I was a huge fan of Jane Austen. I just thought that, oh, I should probably know them. And they're great books. They're fen- phenomenal writers, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, I specifically, I, I don't know. <clears throat> Sorry, I got a little. But uh, yeah, I, I just thought that this was just, it said a lot about uh, not just yeah human relationships and then people themselves and the time period. It, it just... Yeah, I, I I've heard enough about Jane Austen that I think I need to focus more on her, you know. Considering I'm not really reading anything else. <laughs> yeah, she she is. I mean, her style is very formal, um, but there's just again, there's just so much, um, so much observational and situational wit and banter and and. Um, discernment in it it's it's worth it it's worth reading yeah okay well there you go emma uh from 2019 thank you so much for being here thank you so much for having me back it's always so much fun isn't it and i would say uh what was the uh the the website where you uh review books it's called dear strange things uh which is a dorothy parker quote uh parker being another favorite of mine and the URL is dearstrangethings.substack.com. Yeah, and uh, a lot of your work is also on uh, Christ and pop culture, uh, particularly the J.D. Vance uh, article that, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I don't want to say it's a J.D. Vance article because it's, <laughs> it's about a lot, and it just uh, touches on that a bit. But uh, absolutely, uh, I'll put that in the show notes, because, but you have a lot of great writings at Christ and pop culture that uh, I'll, I hope people check out because, uh, again, I'm, it, it, it is strange that I do think that we are certainly internet friends, 
but I'm also a big fan of you as a writer. So I'm just glad that we could be friends and I, you know, with somebody that I'm such a fan of. So I am sorry if that's weird. <laughs> no, that's really nice. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So thank you and thank everyone for listening and uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to the Commentarians podcast, a Raven Creek social club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to support our show, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash thecommentarians. Thank you for listening, and until next time, remember, movies are a reflection of our lives and of other people's lives, and we get to experience them together. Come back to the movies with us. We love sharing them with you.